If you're anything like me, you love traditional Egyptian food. But what if I told you there's a way you can get it right here in Mississauga? Karas Shawarma will be opening its first Egyptian and Mediterranean-focused restaurant called Karas Egyptian Restaurant. They'll be located at 1250 Eglinton Avenue West, just across the Canadian Coptic Center. They'll bring you dishes like duck with ro'et, molokheya, bechamel, lamb chops, and much more. For their soft opening, they'll be serving dishes like kibda sandwiches, sogo, hawaushi, and more. Wow, that sounds incredible. Guys, to get all the details on their soft open, just go to their website, Karas, K-A-R-A-S, EgyptianRestaurant.com, and make sure to go support. That's Karas, EgyptianRestaurant.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lion's Den podcast. This is episode number 40. I'm your host, Fatty, and I got a very, very funny guest in the building today. Uh, My next guest is a stand-up comic, and I'm super excited because I I actually remember being on the couch about a month and a half ago, and a friend of mine was over, and uh, he's like, yo, you should check out this this cop, the guy, he does stand-up comedy. And we watched some of his stand-ups, and we were laughing. I was like, dude, I got to find him. And then, uh, obviously, fast forward a bit, we're here now. So uh, without further ado, everyone, meet Wafik. Wafik, how are you, man? I'm good, thank you, Fatty. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it, man. Anytime, anytime. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, the introduction said, obviously, what your career is, so let's just get right into it, man. Um, sure. How long have you been doing what you're doing now, and how long have you been a stand-up comic for? Uh, professionally, about 26 years. Professionally, about 26 years. Did you do anything before that? Not professionally? Well, yeah, you, I dabbled in it for about a year before I actually started committing to it. Yeah, the way interesting. You want to to be more serious about it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Twenty six years, man. That's that's wild. You've seen a lot of different things from a comedic standpoint of in terms of appropriate jokes and appropriate content, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 like changes in the planet. Like nine eleven happened while I was a comedian, so I went from just being a comedian to being, you know to some people a terrorist to other people a brown yeah. person like yeah, it, yeah. like it changed overnight yeah that's very interesting man we don't really think about all those things and and i'm sure as the conversation goes we'll unfold more of that but uh let's let's talk about you know let's fast forward a little bit prior to you deciding to pursue this did you always know that you wanted to make a career out of this or did you go to school and try to or with the idea of a different career in mind um, I went to school with a different career in mind. I, did, I wasn't happy with the choice that I made. I went to, uh, I took computer programming back in when I finished high school. I mean, that was a long time ago and computers were the wave of the future. And, you know, my parents convinced me to go into that. I actually per, would have preferred to go into advertising, something a little more creative. And then, so I did computers. I got a government job here in Ottawa and I just sort of spun my wheels until my brother actually convinced me to try stand-up. Really? I always liked making people laugh, and it was my brother that said, you know, that I should do it because they were actually, like, we went to the same high school. I, I'd graduated ahead of him because I'm six years older. And then he told me that Yuck Yucks was actually going to be at the high school. And he told me that I that there was a part in the show where the students and faculty could go up and do some stand-up. And I just like listened to him talk and they said, you know, you should do it. You yeah. always make everybody laugh. And then 
I never even thought of doing stand-up as anything to make money, let alone, you know, a career. Yeah, that's very interesting. So you approached it just as a hobby. Actually, you didn't even approach it. You were recommended to it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you sort of just went in there. You're like, all right, I'll give this a shot. Maybe it's it'll be fun. What yeah, was that? Exactly. Uh, what was that first experience like? Were you re- were you sure right away, or did it take you a few reps before you were like, "This is this is something that I'm pretty good at. I'm comfortable with." Because uh, well, it's nerve wracking. It actually, took me a few shows. The first show, I got drunk, and because um, I, I was yeah. fine until the the uh, the manager of the, the club said five minutes of show time, and uh, the night that I was on, it was actually a competition. There was twelve of us on, and um, I did a bad pun joke. And um, a woman booed my joke, and I called her a. That was the biggest laugh I got. Uh, <laughs> it was just a. It was like a, like a, a, a reflex. I just. Yeah. I was I was annoyed that she booed me, and I was drunk. And you know, at the same time, I was right. It was my first time on stage. You don't do that. Yeah. No matter yeah. how bad a joke is. And and that's I guess a little bit early, like I, where we were saying, like things that you could get away with saying, like back then. Like I feel like oh. now that would <laughs> would not I don't, fly. I don't know if I would have gotten if I got away with it for any reason other than it, like the people. It was a genuine moment where yeah. people laughed because it was it wasn't scripted and and it was a very genuine sort of re- response to her. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I, I, I mean, people say worse now. To oh, uh, people sure. who heckle. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. So yeah, the first show was was a write off. I was drunk. Second show, I only remembered about a minute and forty five seconds of my act, and then the third show was killer. It was it was beautiful, and I was addicted from that day on. Yeah, because once you see people laughing and there's a good reaction, I feel like that gets you going. You're like, okay, now now yeah. I want to I want to see more of this. Oh, exactly. Cause like the first show, honestly, that laugh was like, I was, I was like, wow, I like that. And that's what made me it's do addicting. the second show. I wanted to get more of that. And it was, and I was doing fine, but you know, the bag popped and I'm just standing there going, I don't remember anything else. I got, I did about two minutes of, um, of and I, I was getting laughs. I was happy with it, but I was really annoyed that I, you know, it was a minute, like minute forties, like, that's like six minutes less than I should have been on there. So what do you do in that instance when, when you have like six, seven minutes to, to play with and you're only at like a minute, 42 minutes? Like, do your nerves kick in at that point or do you just say, well, screw it, or whatever, it is what it is? Well, that's what, that's actually the approach I took and the manager was very happy with me. He said, you know, you you, you did a minute 40, uh, you got some good laughs. You, you, like, you, like you didn't stand around because a lot of times people who don't remember their act, especially when they're first starting, they stand there and just basically like Look take up everybody's crowd. time. Yeah. Like they're not remembering their stuff and they're just trying to cover the time. I left and you know, that was more of a, more of a, that made more of an inf- like an impact on the show than standing there just, you know, and tarnishing the four minute, the, the, the minute 40 that I did. Cause yeah. I, like I said, it was, it was good. It was like, it would have been nice to do the whole six, especially since I did feel like I had some momentum. But I remembered what I remembered. I got off stage right away when I couldn't go any further, and and the manager was happy with that. Yeah, and and I mean earlier we joked about you know your reaction when you got booed for a joke, but I want to hear from you know in a serious setting like when you do get booed or, or you don't get that reaction that you're expecting, how do you pivot as a comic? Like how do you go from there and and change things and. And I guess pick your act back up. That's actually a very interesting question. But the problem is, it depends on your experience. 
like when you first start out, if a joke doesn't go over, your your first reaction is to start getting nervous and sweating and jittery. Um, the more you do comedy, like when a joke doesn't work or doesn't hit, it, it doesn't it doesn't affect you as much. You know, you realize, okay, did I say that wrong? Did the audience hear me wrong? Like, and then you start analyzing it. So it depends on on experience, really. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I want to hear about the, so obviously we know being from our culture, there's a lot of pressure and stigma to do certain things or pursue certain careers. I'm not saying everyone gets hounded. You know, there are certain levels and some people are, you know, free to do whatever it is they choose. But in the cultural, you know, if we're, if we're talking in general, I would say there is that, you know, pressure. So did you ever feel that growing up? I know you did, um, you did go to school for a computer. I think it was computer science, you said. Yeah, and that was um, my parents that to convince me to do that more than me yeah. wanting to do it. Yeah, so I guess by the time you had – actually, I don't even know. How old were you when you made the shift to, to comedy? Uh, geez, I guess about 24. Okay, 24. So you're still pretty young. I mean, what was yeah. the reaction at home like when you decided to quit your government <laughs> job and – and, Are you uh, ready for this? Tell jokes for a living. I'm Are ready. You ready for this? I'll tell you what my parents did. They had a priest come over and talk to me. <laughs> I swear to God, man. They had a priest come and tell me that what I was doing was wrong, that I should not be doing it, that your 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 that entertainment isn't a career. And it was funny. We had we talked back and forth, and he commented to my parents that he was really impressed with the way that I stood my ground. Because a lot of times, you know, a priest goes into a situation like that where they they have to talk to the child, and the child is like, "Oh yes, Abuna, you're right. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I should listen and respect my parents." But I wasn't like that because I didn't see it as as me being disrespectful to my parents or my faith. I mean, yeah. I've done some bad things since I started doing comedy, things that I wouldn't have done if it wasn't for comedy. But that's the path I chose later. Yeah. When I first got into comedy, my idea was was to go in and, like, this is what convinced the priest. I said, man, like, there's so much pain in this world. There's so much suffering. There's so much anxiety and depression. If I can make people forget those things for 10 minutes, how is that a bad thing? Yeah. And when he no, couldn't answer me, he said, if that's the reason you're in it, then keep doing it. And when he told my parents, like my parents had left, he had actually told me he wanted to just talk to me, just him and I. And when I said that and I changed him, my parents came back, he invited them back and they thought for sure I was the one that was going to finally see it their way. He told them he saw it my way yeah. and the look on their face was priceless. And it was a couple of months later, I won a competition here in Ottawa and that's what won my dad over. And that's all I really wanted. Like, I wasn't going to fight my parents over it. But at the same time, there's a fine line bet between being disrespectful and just, you know, being yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you brought up a good point earlier because you're saying, like, I'm not being disrespectful to my faith or to my family or anything like that. Um, but then when you look at, like, some of the content that you that you talk about, not just you, but comedy in general – like yeah. people, people like to be made laugh by things that are typically inappropriate. Like it's uh, true. You know I what mean, I mean? So there, so how do you personally find that balance? Like, do you, was that a struggle in the beginning? Like, do you find a way to, to balance it's a struggle that? struggle now, man. Yeah. I got another album ready to go, but the language and content in it isn't, 
a Christian thing. Yeah. It's very funny. And I'm making some valid points and some racial points that I want to make. I wish that the language and content wasn't as offensive, not offensive, but as harsh as it is. And I don't mind it that way. But honestly, there's a part of me, like there's a Christian part of me that's trying to come out now. And I'm watching Christian comedians and I see their content and I see that they can get laughs without saying the F word or swearing or going into. And but my thing has always been a bit of an edge. Like I find edgy comedy more rewarding. I love comedians like Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, people who have things to say, not just be funny. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you 100%. It is definitely tough. And, and and like we were saying, man, like people, for the most part, I know that there are ways to do it. But for the most part, most of the successful comedians we know, like they're not out there, you know, and, and doing a PG show. And that's just no. the reality of the career. Um, but at the same time, it's not it, like I don't know if necessarily that I want to do a, a PG show or more Christian or whatever. But it's just I wish... I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I like, I find my ability to make something serious, funny, very yeah. rewarding. But at the same time, those serious themes and issues aren't really necessarily Christian. And I always yeah. sit there yeah. and I go, like, if my church, they've asked me, they asked me a long time ago to do a set for them. And I was like, what can I do out of my act that, that would go and go over <laughs> in a church? And not a lot. <laughs> no. All all you can pretty much do is make fun of your parents in terms of not just your parents, but yeah. like the idea of an Egyptian parent and like the dynamic between, you know, immigrant child and immigrant parent. Like that's like the only type of humor I can see flying uh, in that kind of setting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Have your parents ever watched your shows live? My mom watched my Comedy Now special and the only thing she said was, you said the F word 18 times. She counted it. She said, you're on stage for 22 minutes, and you said it 18 times. What's wrong with you? It didn't matter that the crowd loved it. It didn't matter that it was probably one of the best sets of my career. <laughs> she, that was her. That was the was, reaction. Yeah. Yeah, she was right. But that was the only time she saw me. And is that, is that family, a, That's got to be awkward for you, man. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe Did your parents hear you swear before that? Is there one of those things where, like, we thought, we thought Wafik, you know, had the best – you know, he didn't say any of these words, and then we watched well, his stand-up, and it was like, who is this guy? Well, I mean, like, I don't swear out of out of regular principle. It's just, you know, you swear when you swear. No, you exactly. you get angry, but um, I don't, yeah, yeah I, I never really, we, we were always taught never to swear in front of my parents. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's why I ask, because a lot of Egyptians are taught that way. You just, you know, watch yeah. your language in front of your parents and keep it clean. Well, even, even like, in Egypt, I mean, like... Yeah, Christians are one way, but I mean, it's yeah. it, like the Muslims, you, you don't, you don't swear. You, yeah. you have, it, it's interesting that you have to have that kind of self-respect. Yeah, yeah, they, for sure. They, I, I actually, uh, a friend of mine was telling me in Saudi Arabia, you can get fined for saying the F word on stage or anywhere. Like wow. $2,500. It's no, very it's no joke. <laughs> That's very, very interesting. Um, that's another thing I want to ask you too, like, because your content, not just specifically for your parents, but like for any tunts or uncles, like, have you ever had to have those conversations? Like, have, have they ever come across your content or have you ever had that uncle come up to you like behind everyone's back? Be like, yo, I actually loved your standup. It was so funny. Just like kind of being secretive about it. Any, any of those encounters? Um, well, I have a couple of cousins that just moved to Canada from Egypt and they've come to my show and they love it. Yeah. But as far as like, 
family, uh, they don't really watch my stuff, even though it's online. It's funny, like I've never gotten any feedback. And I've always said, and I, and I do mean this, uh, I don't think Egyptians want other Egyptians to be successful. Interesting. Why do you say that? I've had a lot of, of, of Egyptians in the community tell, uh, to ask me, when I'm, when's my next show? And I tell them, and, I, and I'll say, oh, actually, you know, it's in two weeks from now. And they're like, oh, maybe I'll come. And I'll say, yeah, I'll put you on my guest list. And then they won't go. Or they'll say they're busy that night. It's it, like I, the joke I have is that the reason is, is Team Egypt doesn't make the World Cup in soccer is because we don't pass the ball to each other. <laughs> we don't want other people to be successful. Yeah. It's one thing that That's that guy, sad. I can't remember his name, that plays in Liverpool. Mohamed Salah? Yes, thank you. He's great, and they and they and they and he's the reason why we might make it to the World Cup. Yeah, but it's like I just don't think that Egyptians care to watch other Egyptians do well. Yeah, so you think they're like kind of the jealous of him because he's uh, he's got the face everywhere and he's making the big money and yeah. winning the big tournaments and yeah. on the big stages and stuff. He did yeah. it on his own. Yeah, and I don't know if you play FIFA, man, but they made him so good in that game. <laughs> they made him so good good. and he's a lot of fun to watch too yeah for sure now Wafek I want to get into more of the the nitty gritty of what it means to actually have a career in comedy because I feel like from the outside looking in it's very hard to actually understand how it goes from your perspective so when you say I have a career in comedy like are because I know that you spent some time contracted with I believe it was yuck yucks is that correct Yes. Yeah. So before you were doing that, what what was your life like? Was it on you to find gigs? Were you a part of a company that assigned you to gigs? Like, how does it work for a comic that's starting out their career? Well, I mean, Yuck Yucks is kind of like the WWE of wrestling, of in terms of like how it is for wrestling. Mm-hmm. You, but they're they're the dried up company that still has a lot of work, but they're living off their name. Uh, I think you, you're going to, like, I I fired them and moved on. I only work for Yuck Yucks Ottawa because Howard Wagman is, he's practically family. I love the man to death. Um, but he's the only person in Yuck Yucks that I'll work for. And because it, I find it, it's easier for you to do it yourself. Uh, if you're good enough, the work will come to you. And that's what you got to do. You got to make yourself the best person on every show. I'm not saying that I'm the best person on every show. I always like to think of myself as I make a good show better and I make a bad show good. Interesting. Yeah. And that's all I've ever wanted to be. I like, I, I, if I like you want to like Bill Burr said, be unfollowable, be the guy that nobody can go on after. So you have to go on last all the time. That's what you got to work your way up to. And the better you get, the more work you get. You know, I mean, and, and you got to do it young because the problem is it's a young man's game. Just for laughs is passing on me now because I'm old. You know, um, I'm not get, I wouldn't be working as steady with Yuck Yucks because I'm old. Like I, I make my own waves. I got I got people that, that friends and bookers that I know and they yeah. know they can count on me. And one thing that I'm very proud of, I can go from a children's fundraiser to a triple X show. In one day, like if if you wanted that, I can do it. I can't do a church show, but I can do a, a kids show. <laughs> That's interesting, man. Um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's interesting you bring that that point up, man, because 
it's it's hard to understand it. Like when I when I think of it, like okay, the comics that I know are Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, Bill Burr, all the guys that are up there. You know, they're at the top. This is the yeah. first time I'm speaking to somebody who's made a career out of it. But you're not, you know, the Kevin Hart. And it's interesting to know that you know there's so many people like you, and there's like there's levels to this. So I want to know from like a comedic standpoint, do you can you find success or how difficult is it to find success if you're not in the positions of the Kevin Hart's, Dave Chappelle's, and Bill no, Burr's? I mean, it, it depends on your act. Uh, I know a lot Fair of comedians enough. that people never heard of that make millions of dollars going to colleges and campuses and uh, doing uh, corporate shows. Corporate shows are where the money is. Really? Like you can make, uh, yeah, you can make upwards of, like from 1000 to 5000 a show. If you're wow. a corporate comic, it's a different kind of comedy. It's TV friendly. It's clean. It's it's really vanilla. Yeah. Wow. Uh, very interesting. I would never have expected that corporates where the money's at. Yeah. Well, I mean, because they're the ones that have the money. Uh, they they got. Sometimes they got a bigger budget than they than they than they think about. And they yeah, just, and you know, they just spend it because they have it. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. I've, interesting. I I did a, a show for uh, Qatar was $1,200 for like 20 minutes. Like you actually went there? Well, no, no. It was the, the airline, sorry. Oh, sorry. So, I was yeah, like, wow, no, they flew you up for a 20-minute show? That's yeah, yeah. Insane. They put me up in a beautiful hotel. Like, <laughs> it, like I got treated like a king. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a horrible show. Like none of nobody in that room had a sense of humor. Yeah. And it was, it was definitely, I bombed for sure. I still got paid. Yeah. No, and that's that's the that's the point, right? And and I was gonna ask you that too, like that's the way it works. Like you're you're getting paid just for showing up. It doesn't matter. It's not like hey, we didn't really like your jokes tonight. Here's seventy five percent. That does happen. Usually they they still have to pay you, and they still will. Um, I've I've done a show where it was so bad that I told the guy, "Don't pay me," and we agreed on just paying me half. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, that's on. That, yeah. I guess that was you taking that initiative, but I mean, yeah, totally. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hold myself to a high degree, and when I couldn't, and I knew it was my fault, and that was the thing. Like I, you, when you when you bomb, there's two shows. There's the one that it's your fault you bombed, and there's one where it's the crowd's fault. And when you know it's you, you gotta own it, and I owned it. Yeah, that's uh, it's fair, man, and that's big on you for for doing that as well now did you do any tv specials i know that uh did you do just for laughs at all uh i did just for laughs for like the the, the one time i did it was uh, a competition um, Okay. but that's my only real booked set like there was i did a guest spot uh the year before at a competition because the headliner was stuck at another show they were doing it in the club that i just performed in so the manager asked me to do a guest set at the end of the show. And uh, that was my first set. It wasn't, it, I wasn't booked. And <laughs> that was probably one of the top three sets in my life. And to have it in such an important place like just for laughs made it even better. Yeah. But unfortunately, because I wasn't booked, I didn't have anything else. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Um, I want to, I want to talk to you more about the preparation side of, of, you know, going into a stand up into a show, into a set. 
um, because I'm sure you've done things like a 10 minute or you've, have you done like anything like an hour or something like oh, that? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you've done, you've done various amount of different times, different kinds of sets and people and stuff. So can you talk about the preparation? Like what goes into preparing for, let's say a one hour set, like how much in advance are you preparing? Cause you know, from the outside looking in, a lot of people think, Oh, this guy's just naturally funny. He just shows up on stage, picks up the mic, says a bunch of jokes and, and calls it a night. I, I think, I think it, it it sort of becomes that after a while. I know the first time I started headlining, you know, it just becomes instinctive. You write a set list down, you try to remember all your jokes and how they go. Um, I'm not one of these people that likes to recite it. I like to write bullet points, like uh, joke about my name, joke about this and a joke about that and just put it in point form. Because when yeah. you write it down, your brain stays. That's the way the joke is. Yeah. It doesn't allow you to create it further or go further with it. Yeah, and you kind of see that sometimes with even like people like Kevin Hart. Like you'll watch a, a, an old special and then a new special, and it's almost like scripted the same joke. It's the exact same words. The everything's the exact same about it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And that's why I don't like writing it out. I like yeah. to just write. Okay. Oh, th- uh, for this joke, I have to say this part, so I'll actually write that part out. But you know, like um, here, let me. I must have a set list somewhere. Yeah, see here, I have um, I have a joke about uh, about <laughs> my newest joke is about how my face makes me racist towards myself. <laughs> well, what I did is I grew out my beard, right? I, okay. Like, um, back in March when the pandemic first started, I had a few friends that went out and they shaved their head and they shaved their face and they and they they, they did the pandemic shave. And I said I want to do the opposite, so I have not shaved my head or my face since March. Wow. And now like I, I look, I'm getting called Moses, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's something I should send you a picture, but, but and maybe, it, like, maybe we'll put that as the episode cover. <laughs> I'll send you the picture, man. <laughs> um, That's funny. So, yeah. My, my opening joke is how my face. Now, when I see my face, I'm racist towards myself. Cause I'll look in the mirror and go, ah, you don't speak English. <laughs> Man, that's funny. Um, so you got? Do you have a set coming up? Well, we're in another lockdown now. I had a, oh, right. I had Fair another, enough. We had Stupid a weekend lockdown. of shows booked that I was really looking forward to. Here in Ottawa, we got a, sh- uh, a, f- a few friends of mine and I. We do a show called the Horrible Show, and in that we do material that you wouldn't do on a normal show. Like people would be offended by it. I have okay. We we have jokes that we. Uh, I have jokes specifically for that show that I would never do on another show, which is funny though, because it's actually all going to be on my next album. Interesting. So when you say album, like what does that mean for a comic? What's an album? Like so uh, you record a, like a, a 35 minutes at to a, 35 to about an hour. Okay. You record okay. it. And then you put it in tracks. It's almost like a, like a record that you would buy that was music, you know, yes. With all the, like, one song, but it would be all the related material. Like, my first album, I have tracks that are, like, five, seven, eight minutes long. Where is the, where is it available? It's not available yet. Or the first one. It's, like, my first album is good, but it's not what I wanted it to be. It will be released very soon. I'm more proud of the second album, I'll be completely honest. Fair enough. And do you post on, like, streaming sites, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything like that? 
It will be, yes. Okay, uh, cool. It's just a matter of getting it done, and I don't know when I'll pull the trigger on it, but fair. I will eventually. No, that's fair. I don't that's think fair. anybody's ever really happy with their first album. Most of the people I've talked to have said that. Yeah. I, I So I listened to this. Uh, it's a podcast. They focus on, like, hip-hop. Uh, and they and one of them is an artist himself and he talks about like man we have so many songs like let's say an artist releases like a hundred songs in their career they have like 500 other ones that are just sitting there and they're like we keep listening to it over and over and over and over and the more you listen to it in your mind it starts to sound less appealing like do you ever feel that at all with your stuff yeah oh man that's one of the worst things you could do as a comedian is is think a joke over and over because after a while you're like this isn't funny. Yeah. And it absolutely is funny. Every yeah. comedian I've talked to, when they do something new, I'm like, man, that was great. I never heard that before. And they're like, I had that for a year. I didn't think it was funny. I just wanted to tr- throw it out because I had nothing else tonight. Because wow. we just think about it so much that we're like, we lose the funny in it. The so ever- whenever, whenever you have something written down, if it strikes you as funny and then eventually you're like, this isn't funny. Put it aside. Yeah. Because it is. You just lost the funny in your head. Now, I knew you, I know you said you don't like to recite and you do bullet points, but do you ever um, do you ever practice in front of people before you go on or do you just, do you just go on and do it? <laughs> well, I think you find a way to sort of try to sneak any new material into conversation. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So <laughs> everything so everything's just a survey. Every, every conversation with you is a survey of some sort. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, eventually you, you're kind of like, well, and you say, and if they laugh, you're like, oh, yeah, I definitely got to put this in. <laughs> Mental notes. Whip out yeah. your phone real quick and just start taking notes down. Yeah. Do you ever, uh, do you ever, do you ever walk into a set and just like throw away the mental preparation and just, you're like, this isn't working. I'm going to go off the top and just, you know, turn it completely around based on like the early reactions you're getting. Or do you usually try to stay on course with your plan? I try to stay on course. Um, so it, it's shifting gears, right? Like if it's an older crowd and you went in with like, uh, you know, stuff about like smoking weed, they're not necessarily going to, then they might not get into that because they don't smoke weed. Yeah. So then you just, you just shift gears and that's where experience and having material in your back pocket comes in. Like if you have 10 minutes, that's all you got. So you have to stick to what you got. But if you have like an hour you know, and you're like, okay, I'll do my weed stuff. It's not working. I'll talk about being a kid. And then, you know, that might start working. Or you just find different jokes to, to suit the crowd. When I was in England, I was doing jokes. And the crowd was like, they were like, you're funny, but you're not talking to us. They stopped my set to tell me that. Wow. And then they forced me to talk about me. And then that's what I did. I talked to them about traveling for the first time since 9-11. Uh, being in England for the first time in my life. And they really, really loved it. And they loved the fact that it wasn't prepared. It was just me talking about me. And did you feel like the culture out there, like the people themselves, uh, were they, is it a different kind of vibe? Are they receptive to different humor? Or was the preparation similar to what you were doing here? Well, you, you know, you, you, do, you do jokes that you don't even think about uh, here in Canada that are strictly Canadian. You talk about Tim Hortons, they're not going to know what it is. Maybe the northern states of the U.S., uh, some expats in different countries. But for the most part, if you go to England or anywhere else outside of Canada, you're very you can't do specifically Canadian material. Yeah. So that was that was my first two weeks 
was just trying out my material to find out, okay, what in my act can I actually do in England that isn't specifically Canadian? And I was happy that I'd say about 70 to 80% of it was stuff that traveled outside of Canada. A lot of people think, you know, being a comic, it's it's amazing, right? You get to make people laugh all the time. People laugh at your jokes, and it's 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 very satisfying. It must be a great career, very happy, and I'm sure it is a great career. But I want to hear from you some of the challenges that you have faced in this career, or that other comics can face in this kind of in this industry. Well, oh man, like where do you start with that? You, you, I don't go north of Edmonton because of racial issues that I, I don't like. Um, there's a lot of people. Like, the thing that will drive you nuts about comedy is that you'll see that sometimes people that don't deserve good things because they're not a good comedian will get those things. And it'll drive you nuts that you know that you're a better comedian, but they're getting it and you're not. Yeah. There's there's a lot. It, it's, it's the best and worst thing you can do to your ego at the same time, like comedy. And it's yeah. really funny that it's the best and worst thing that happens in your in, in your comedy is not what you think it is. You think the best thing that could happen to you in comedy is to kill every time you go on stage. And that's true. It's good. It's great for the ego. It's good for like album sales or whatever. But it's actually bombing that's better for your comedy because that's when you sit back and you start thinking, okay, if I really want to do this, then I got to make sure I'm more bulletproof than I am. So you start that it's in bombing that you actually look at your act and improve yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's pretty applicable in, in many things, right? Like failing yeah. is so crucial to helping you figure out how to be successful and how to be great in what you do. Like a lot of successful people, they're not successful off their first attempt. Some people yeah. are absolutely and, and kudos to them, but most successful people are not successful off their first attempt. And yeah. a lot of people have to change and pivot and, and become different things and no, absolutely. I, I can see that for sure. Like, um, they're, they're great people like Tom Brady, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. The one thing that people always give him credit for is if he has a bad game, the next game, he's going to kill you. Yep, and that's absolutely. exactly what you got to be. You, it, it's the athletes and, and comedians are kind of the same. It's how much you you put into it and how much effort you put into it that you, the payoff comes out of it. The more work you put into it, the more work, the, the more that you get out of it. Yeah. Now, when you're freelancing, is it uh, is there a uncertainty on your mind of like when where my next you know job is going to take place, or is it pretty stable in terms of acts that are available? You know, I I know it obviously depends on the comic that you are, uh, but I'm. <laughs> saying assuming that you're you know you're you're good enough to have a career you're good enough for you to quit your job to pursue this full-time is there you know the, the supply of shows is it good enough or is it challenging at times for you to find it's, gigs it's better now like when i first started the only show in ottawa was yuck yucks yeah. uh, and back when you first start it's you know you do the wednesday night was the amateur night sometimes that that one show was all you got that month Sometimes, you know, it made us all improve very quickly because it was the only way to get more work was to be as funny as you could be right away. Now, I mean, here in Ottawa, we have at least uh, like seven regular mics that run. A couple of a couple of them are every Monday and every Thursday. And, but with the lockdown, I mean, we lost a lot of stage time. We lost a lot of work. So right now, you know, I don't know what the future holds, to be honest, man. I mean, like, yeah. like, like some clubs aren't going to reopen. Some bars aren't going to reopen. They can't even sustain to be closed this long, right? It's tough. No. It's tough. But but prior to COVID, the comedy scene was, is it good? Is it popular? Is it, especially in Ottawa, is it like, was it a popular scene? In, in Ottawa, it was getting better. Uh, Yuck Yucks was selling out. 
Absolute Comedy was selling out. Um, the there were people attending the, the mics, most of them anyway. Uh, some of the some of the more regular mic uh, open mics in, in Ottawa were getting you know they have regular crowds and they had people that were coming out specifically for the show, and it was great. Uh, it's almost like we were really hitting a stride, and the pandemic had to happen because the bag was going to pop anyway. Yeah, and and I just it popped because of the pandemic. Fair enough. It was inevitable, and the pandemic sort of pushed it over the edge, and that's yeah, where we're going. Yeah, <laughs> but now none of us know what's going to happen. Yeah, you know? unfortunately. And and it's sad because we keep opening here in Ottawa for like two weeks, three weeks, and then we get we got locked down again uh, right now, and we shouldn't have been because our numbers were low. I know there's been a spike because of course there is, um, but like we shouldn't have had this lockdown. Yeah, I, I, a lot of regions in Ontario, I think they're, they feel the same way. They're like, our numbers aren't conducive of the GTA. Leave no, us alone. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, tough, they man. were saying that because Quebec is right beside us, they were going to cross the border and come in here and, and you know, do what like the things they couldn't do in Quebec. Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. Nothing, that's for sure. Um, it's hard, obviously, to 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 pinpoint every single lesson that you've learned along the way. You know, you've had a twenty six year career. There's lessons that happen on the daily. Um, but if you had to maybe pinpoint, you know, something major that you learned that helped you navigate your way through this industry, what would that be? Um, never to take it personally, regardless of what it is. Bombing, you don't you don't take it personally. Somebody getting work that you didn't get, don't take it personally. You know, you just keep working on you, keep getting better, make yourself undeniable. That's that's a good one. I like that a lot because at that point, because like you said, it's your craft, right? If your craft exactly. is great, then they can't can't deny you. It exactly. is what it is. I mean, well, I mean, people will always tell you you're still going to get denied, but it's going to be a different level, you know? Sure, of course. You, you just want to get to a point where you you're getting a bigger piece of the pie. Absolutely, man. Now, Wafik, before I give you back the rest of your evening, man, I have one last question for you. And I want to just know, what is your absolute favorite thing about being a stand-up comic? If you had to pick one thing that, you know, throughout the last 26 years that you said, this is for sure what I love. And every time I experience this, I know I made the right decision. What would that be? Writing something new and making people laugh with it. Amazing. Keeping your content new, bringing new stuff to the table, not, not being stale. Exactly. Being relevant. 26 years, man. It's tough. It's hard to be relevant for that long, but I have been. It is. I'm blessed. It is, man. And congratulations to you. And I hope to see another 26 for you, bro. And I appreciate Uh, your time. Uh, And thank you so much for connecting, man. I appreciate it. Um, Thank you for reaching out. And if you want to do this again, I'd be down. It was really fun. 100%, man. I appreciate your time. Have a good night, Wafi. Thanks. Thank you, Patty. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Wafik, Wafik Nasrallah, the stand-up comic man. What a conversation, candid, very truthful and honest conversation. Um, I enjoyed learning about it because I think I'm a funny guy, but I've never tried stand-up. I'm too nervous for that stuff, but um, it's definitely good to to ask people the questions. I'm like asking them questions that I want to ask them, so I hope you guys enjoyed them. Um, I appreciate all your support. You know where to find me, Spotify, Apple, Listener. And I'll come at you guys next episode.